let's put it in the key of G. And I sing this song a lot uh, because he lives, but I just relate to it so much that because he lives, I can get up every single morning and I can go to work or I can go do whatever I need to do in faith knowing that he holds that day. And no matter what I face, no matter what I'm going through, he's right there with me. And you know, the song that we just sang, it's it's not just I'm gonna make it in the rapture, or I'm not it's not I'm gonna make it to heaven, but I'm gonna make it through whatever trial I'm going through, whatever situation, whatever need I have, I'm gonna make it because he walks right beside us. So and he holds our tomorrow. So just this evening as Brother Barry comes, let's just sing this because he lives. And let's just sing it with all of our heart, just believing that God holds our tomorrow.
Just because he lives. Praise the Lord. You can be seated tonight. Hang on a sec. We're going to sing one more little chorus here tonight before we begin. We welcome all of you to the house of the Lord tonight. Certainly good to be here. Uh, We appreciate all of you coming. And uh, good to have all of you back from South Carolina and all the different places everybody has been. Now, Brother uh, Mitchell, has, who's now engaged, has uh, given you a list of prayer requests that is not complete because I want to add a couple to it. And then if you don't mind, I would like uh, to have us all join together uh, for, in prayer again for all of these needs there. There's, we're, we're in the midst of a raging storm of all of this uh, respiratory stuff that's going on. Uh, doesn't mean we roll over and accept it. I believe uh, we appeal to the God who heals all of our diseases and pray that uh, if somebody's afflicted, that God will give them a quick and complete recovery and get them back on their feet again because that's just the hand of the enemy that would try to do whatever he could to hinder us, especially hinder us from coming to the house of God. Uh, Sister Angie Pritchard is not here. She's out in Kansas uh, with family. Uh, Sister Leah was here on Sunday and she went back, so uh, she uh, will not be here until Saturday. Also as well, Catherine Pritchard had her surgery today uh, and she had, did really well. Uh, the doctor was pleased with the, uh, the outcome of the sur- surgery and sinus issues and uh, it was uh, very, very necessary for her when they got in there and saw it was very necessary for them to have done the surgery, and so uh, the doctor was pleased with that. Brother and sister uh, Hughes are not here tonight, and uh, Brother Troy and sister Connie, and uh, their son Jason, uh, son-in-law, Jason Dillingham, had a stroke, and uh, he was affected on his right side. He's only 49 years old, and uh, I left a message for his wife today, uh, who is uh, sister Connie's daughter, and we uh, told them that we would certainly remember them in prayer. And she said, yes, she said, that's, that's really what's needed. And pray specifically that he would have healing because the stroke was near the brainstem and it affected his right side activity. And so they asked uh, that we would specifically remember that uh, need tonight and uh, trust that the Lord will undertake for, uh, for him. So one of, if you don't mind, let's stand, let's sing that little chorus, Have Your Way. And... Uh, <clears throat> Let's go to prayer together. And I want you to, um, none of us would remember all the names that are on that list. But here's what's important, is that we know that God already knew about each, each circumstance long before we put it on paper. But we know, too, that if you're living and standing in this body tonight, you've got issues and you've got maybe a concern or two that you would love to give to him tonight. And so hold your request there as well and believe that God hears you when you pray. Let's sing it tonight. Have your way. Lord, have your way. Holy Spirit, feel our hearts. 
and have your way as we time. Now make it personal now. Just speak to him. scripture when the Roman centurion stood and invited you to come to his house. He understood the principle behind real authority. And he knew that if you just spoke the word, that was all that was necessary because there was a power, there was a kingdom behind whatever your words were. We believe we serve the same living God tonight who is able to speak And Lord, things happen whenever you speak. You have an authority, Lord, that we really know nothing about. And I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would move on behalf of every one of these needs, Lord. I lay my hands on these papers, Lord. And I know, oh God, that you are concerned about things that your children go through. There's not a thing, Lord, that escapes you. Father, we pray now in the name of Jesus that you would minister, Lord, mightily to these needs tonight. Father, you would be at the bedside of those that are hurting, those that are needy tonight, Lord. And whether the need is physical, and there are many, or Lord, whether the need is emotional or spiritual, whatever it is, Lord, we believe that you have the resources and you're capable, O God, of speaking truth and speaking peace and speaking love and speaking forgiveness, Lord. We believe you're a God of deliverance tonight, same as you ever were. So, Father, move on the scene, we pray. Minister, Lord, to each one personally. And, Lord, as we wait upon you tonight in this place, Lord, we just have an expectation on our hearts that you're going to speak to us. And so we give you this service. We give you our time here, Lord. We are not here to accomplish anything in terms of our own agenda. But, Lord, we want to uh, give the people the full counsel of God. This is our commission. So, Lord Jesus, just anoint us to speak and anoint us to hear that we might receive from the Holy Spirit tonight. Father, we love you and we thank you. And we ask, oh God, that you would just be mighty again on behalf of these needs, Lord. Especially Catherine, tonight we lift her up before you and ask you, oh God, to give her a quick recovery. And Lord Jesus, Jason Dillingham and 
laying in the hospital, Lord, we know that he really needs a touch from you. So, Father, have your way now, we pray in Jesus' name and for your glory we ask these things. Amen. And amen. And all God's people said, amen. Wonderful. Let's take your Bibles tonight, if you don't mind, and we're going to go to the book of Second Thessalonians. We're going to start there tonight. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Thank you, musicians. <clears throat> Now, this is a chapter that is devoted to our time, so it's pertinent. It's important that we read it, and let's take a look here. And We know that chapter 4 and chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians address us in our time, and let's go to 2 Thessalonians as well, chapter 2 and verse 1. Now, we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. That ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. And let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, which is this day, shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He desires a following, doesn't he? Amen. He will get one. May God add his blessing. You may be seated. Mitchell's already uh, mentioned Saturday. Uh, So for those of you that are available and able to come and help for a couple of hours, that'll be great. Uh, It'll be a free lunch, and uh, we would appreciate the help. Brother Bill, I did not mention tonight, I have your name written down, but I did not mention that about uh, job request, uh, job situation, and so we're uh, continuing to remember Brother Bill uh, in prayer that God would uh, open the right door for him. Now, uh, let me see a show of hands just for fun. How many read the update from last night? All right, good. Uh, for those that did not, it's still there. And I believe the Internet is still working. Actually, we're having a little Internet troubles here uh, in the church tonight, so I'm, I'm hoping that it's, everything's okay. Um, so uh, if you haven't read it, take a look at it there. But I wanted to uh, introduce this uh, sermon that we're going to be talking about a little bit. And you'll see, uh, even though we may not dwell directly uh, word for word on the sermon, I've been going through it. I've listened to it on tape, and I usually listen to it many times when I get to a spot like this, uh, when God drops something on my heart. And then I had a minister visit my house uh, last week, and uh, he started bringing up uh, things out of, out of the same message, Satan's Eden, and uh, it, it was just, just amazing. It seems like uh, it's just a little season, a right season for us to take a look at that. All messages are good to take a look at. Uh, but uh, sometimes there are ones that uh, stand out or speak to you a little more directly because of the time that we're living in. So uh, we want to deal with that uh, thought tonight and on the theme of deception. I wanted to uh, just show you this picture. You're the first people to see this picture, uh, but there are 600,000 new books that have hit Malawi, and this is the first group. They're starting to de- distribute these around the country today, and uh, they'll also go into a couple of neighboring countries, and so they're on the move to, uh, today, and they wrote me this morning and sent me this one picture And uh, these folks are excited because now they're not only able to bring these little booklets, which you see on the right.
right-hand side, but the other book, books as well. That's a SEALs book, Church Age book, uh, and there's uh, some other ones that they have as well. So they're uh, pretty excited about that. Now, um, this uh, book, Satan's Eden, was preached in 1965. This was my original one that I had. Uh, it was in this little three-in-one that uh, Brother Hildebrand did uh, years ago. So I have, I have this one. It's, it's kind of fallen apart on me. And then I had this one, which was one uh, put out by Voice of God. And uh, in order to make a clean reread of it, I printed it out. And you, on, on one of the links that I sent you last night on the message hub, you can print it out in this format. Now, I did this because I like to make marks on it and th- notes in the margin and that kind of thing. And uh, so if you like to have a printed copy, that's just one place to get it because uh, English books in North America now are not always uh, in plentiful supply. If I can get some more, I will. But I said all that to say this, that uh, it's a little bit difficult now to say paragraph something because all of these paragraph numbers are all a little bit different depending on the version that you have. But despite the fact that paragraph numbers are different, the message is still the same. So don't worry about it. It would be good for you to get in there. And some of the important things that I want to share with you uh, tonight I've got in here. And for those of you that were here Sunday, uh, I appreciate Brother Johnny and the work that he did solo uh, until the very end of the service, but uh, managed to handle the board up there and uh, got it recorded. And I appreciate that very much. We, uh, we, I think there's an audio, but I wanted to uh, recap just a little bit from there, and then I want to use this as a bit of a theme here. And I, I'm not trying to set a, a, a time record here, so I realize we've got other Saturday nights, so we'll, uh, we'll explore this message as we go along. Now, I mentioned on Sunday, and I want to just review this, that uh, we were talking about Samuel and doing a comparison between Samuel and Saul. And Samuel, uh, when he died... Uh, he left Saul uh, as the king of Israel, and of course, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the whole point of, uh, or the whole uh, focus of Saul's uh, existence in the kingdom, he was really focused on Samuel himself, and uh, it became a weakness to Saul, because when Samuel died, uh, without, a real re- without a real connection and relationship with God, Saul was kind of left hanging. Let me say this, that Samuel and Saul coexisted, and Samuel anointed Saul to be the king. And Saul's focus, Saul's, uh, let's say Saul's great love was for the prophet. When the prophet goes off the scene, now Saul is left because he doesn't really have a living relationship with God. So now, you know what he's doing? He's trying to find an answer. He goes to a witch. A man who doesn't have a relationship with God will go anywhere he can to find an answer. But he's at this point where he's actually going to a witch to summon up the spirit of of, uh, Samuel to find an answer that God obviously knew because God knows all things. But he's not in relationship with God. He had a relationship with Samuel. And you remember, he used that relationship, even in negative ways, but he used it to preserve his kingdom. And so <clears throat> I made this mention on Sunday uh, because it's, it's in Scripture. And, of course, Brother Brandon mentions it a few times that this witch of Endor, uh, she called up the spirit of Samuel and talked to Samuel. 
Now, you might wonder how that could be done, and it cannot be done today. So she could breach that gap and actually contact the dead. You can't do that today because of the blood of Christ. So Brother Manna makes this one statement, and he says, No, sir, because the blood of bulls and goats was only awaiting for the time of fulfillment. And when a man died in them days, he died under the atonement of an animal, and his soul went into paradise. So there was limitations concerning the shed blood in the Old Testament. All right? Because it was the blood of an animal, it was the blood of a natural sacrifice. And he said, There he stayed until the day of redemption, and his soul was in there. But... After Jesus died on the cross and his blood was shed, now the barriers between those dimensions changed. And so you cannot reach the dead today. If somebody tells you at the county fair that they can contact the dead, save your money and go on and throw baseballs instead. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't a spirit world. There absolutely is. And Brother Branham acknowledged that. But even even to the place where he said places were haunted. But uh, as far as doing what the witch of Endor did back in that day uh, to contact the prophet, there was no way, there's no way today for that to be done. So I just wanted to mention that because I, uh, we, we just briefly passed by it on, um, on Sunday. All right. <clears throat> now, there's a couple of key statements here that I just want to bring to you tonight, and you'll find these as you begin to read. And early in the, uh, in the sermon, Brother Bram says, Now the cunningness of the devil now makes the people believe that they're Christians when they're not, which is really a terrible thing, right? To believe that you're something and you're really not. There's the thing. He said, uh, you don't have to seal it. It's a more cunning day than it would be when you had to seal your life away with your testimony. And the devil has set every cunning trap that he can. Uh, We know the devil is pretty good at setting traps, right? He's got a lot of traps. We've talked about some of those traps over the years. But I want you to uh, take note of the scripture that Jesus brings. And, And Brother Branham alone talks about this scripture hundreds and hundreds of times. And he even gets more active in quoting it towards the end of the uh, in end of his ministry, in the end of his years. And he says that he's a deceiver, Satan is. And Jesus told us how that this day we'd be living in the most deceitful day that ever lived, so close that it would be deceived the very elect if it was possible for him to deceive. Now, to me, and it dawned on me the other day, and just in prayer, and I was just thinking about the services and, uh, you know, the message and, and just going through it in my own mind. It's almost like this occurred to me, uh, that if this is the great problem that Jesus warned us about in the last day, and this was not for any other age, but for this age, the most deceitful age, my goodness, we ought to pay attention to this particular verse. And what does it really mean? And how close, I mean, is this going to be? Uh, Jesus doesn't challenge us by saying, try to identify uh, who's the deceiver and who's the deceived and who's not deceived. That's, that's not the challenge. The, the the fact is, though, that this would exist in the last day. That there would be a form of deception that would be really tough for you to call out. It would be really difficult. Not impossible, but there's there are tests that you're going to have to apply that are not evident with your natural senses. So, so like, you can look at something and say, well, it looks okay. You can even hear things and sound okay. And people will say things, and you know what? Sounds okay. 
And let's establish this one thing, as I said uh, also on Sunday. It's not denominationalism that's going to deceive us. Right? It's not, it's not Catholicism, and it's not Rome that's going to deceive us. I mean, that's, that's evident. If it's going to be that deceptive, that Satan is going to pour everything he can into trying to trip up the elect somehow, it's going to have to be really close to what we believe. Because that's where the most cunning deception would exist. So you're going to need more than just, uh, you know, perfect attendance and a great Sunday school teacher. You're going to need more than just, uh, you know, a handful of dirt off Brother Branham's grave. You're going to need more than association with the message. You're going to need a true new birth that puts Christ on the inside so that he can be the teacher he promised to be and lead you and guide you into all truth. You've got to be walking in the light and staying in the light. And you've got to get into the Word and study. Brother Branham says, sorry, Brother Branham says in this message, Satan's Eden here, he says, now I want to take this text tonight. And he says, we get, sometimes we get strange texts. And he always refers to thinking man's filter when he says that, you know, walking through the woods and picking up a cigarette package and so forth. And he said, sometimes those crude expressions bring out something that we ordinarily wouldn't think about. And it gets us to study and put you reading the word. Now listen to what he says. That's what I want all my congregation to do. How many of you believe you're a part of his congregation? I'm not ashamed to say I'm a part of his congregation because I am one of the ones he was preaching to. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So he says, read the word, study it, and study it with the eyes of God to give your intellectuals understanding of how we should live in this present day. So you're going to need to have, now, now let me say again, it is not just study so that you learn the message because... You know what? We don't live by the letter of the word. You've got to have the spirit to quicken that word. It's got to be a quickened word. And then, and only then, it becomes a reality, right? You've got to have your sword to be able to discern. And my goodness, we need discernment today. Very definitely we need discernment. But I will tell you this, as I mentioned before, you're going to need discernment going forward because the times will become narrower all the time. And I'm not trying to scare you, but my job is, is to tell you the whole counsel of God. And I don't think it, you need to be a rocket scientist to figure out we're moving towards that, uh, that, that position of the end of the Gentile dispensation, right? We all know that. We all believe that. Do you believe we're all living in the end of the Gentile dispensation? So there has to be a stopping point, and there's going to be a people step off that stopping point into eternity. And Jesus says right up to that time, right up to that portal, things are going to get really close. So close that it would be deceptive. You've got to have something that's going to help you to ward off all of these traps, these cunning traps that Satan lays for the elect in that day. Oh, you know what? I deem this to be an important subject. Now, we talked a little bit about choices on Sunday. And uh, Brother Branham, uh, he, I, I gave several examples about how uh, choices are made and uh, I, I said, if I had a dollar for everybody who said, yep, I believe what I'm doing is the will of God, and then I'll, as soon as things get difficult, they quit. 
And I often wonder, is that, uh, did God change his mind or did he tell you to go until there was difficulty? Because the will of God is not always easy, right? The will of God is not always uh, the simplest thing to do. Sometimes when you're right in the middle of the will of God, it can still be very challenging, right? How many of you married people ever had an argument with one another? It doesn't mean that you married the wrong person. You can be in the will of God, but, you know, there can be differences, right? Unless you're not married five years. <clears throat> whenever, I, whenever I do a marriage meeting in a church, you know, you can always tell the people who are not married five years yet. Because they're, still look, they're sitting right close and they're looking at one another. All these things Brother Barry is saying, it doesn't apply to him and it doesn't apply to her. Because he's perfect and she's perfect. And, you know, in the note-taking section, there's no notes. There's only hearts with arrows going through them and their names and all of that. You know, it's all there. And I always tell them that if you're, if you're, <laughs> if you're married less than five years, you can just kind of uh, enjoy the, the meals and the snacks and, and uh, you know, a, an evening out. That's great. But after you come five years, then one person's sitting at one side of the auditorium and the other person's over here. Choices, even in the will of God, can sometimes be challenging. That's all I'm saying. You have to know if it's the will of God. If it's God's choice for you, then you ought to work, you ought to be determined. You ought to have a perseverance. And Brother Brandon preached perseverance a lot for us to uh, understand, really, that we are a people who are perseverant because we got a revelation. And if you had a revelation, you're not going to be easily swayed, right? You're not going to be easily diverted. And every one of us need to have that. Because you know what? People are going to do funny things. People are going to do, and not always humorous, people are going to do stupid things. And people are going to misunderstand you, and people are going to criticize you, and you're going to lose faith in people, even. You're losing faith in people that you are surprised that you may have lost faith in. But you know what? That doesn't mean that God's word is wrong. You may even lose faith in yourself as being a believer. But you know what? That doesn't mean that God's word's wrong. There may be all kinds of people saying false things about Brother Branham. But you know what? God knew what he was doing when he sent Brother Branham into the world. And if I, I, I say this to many people, I said, well, all right, if Brother Branham was wrong, who's right? Tell me who fulfills Malachi 4. If we're living at the end time, and current events tell you we're living at the end time, then who's Malachi 4? Point me to Malachi 4. Who else do you know that could fulfill the, the, the requirements or the description of Malachi 4? What other character do you have to come up with? And until you find a better one, I'll stay with this one. Because you know what? God vindicated him. And you may have a theory, but he's got the vindication. So you know what? I'll stand with the vindication. So Brother Manum said that when it comes to making choices, he said, now, today, today, we select our preachers. We say, well, one of the deacons quit. Let's find the best man in the building to take his place. Well, the pastors quit. Let's find out uh, we got the best. And sometimes that's not right. Sometimes that's not the way to do it. To find the most charismatic guy or the, you know, the shortest preacher. Not, not short in height, but short in length. And when the apostles, and he switches to this example, when they, the apostles, selected a man to take Judah's place, they got the wrong man. And that's not his birthday. But they got the wrong man. And the problem was, is not that Matthias was a bad person at all. I believe that Matthias was a good person because he was the first choice and only choice of the apostles there. However, they got a gentleman. Matthias was a great scribe, a scholar, a diplomat, and he'll just take the place. Boy, he looks like a real man. 
kind of sounds like when they elected uh, Saul to be the king. But it wasn't God's choice. And he took this man, and he never done nothing for God. Again, not that he was a bad person. There's nothing indicates he was a bad person. But, you know, God sometimes, to our opinion, makes some of the most foolish choices. Think about this now. God sometimes makes, to our opinion, some of the most foolish choices. And God seen a little hook-nosed Jew full of temper. And he, Paul said, I'll go down and arrest every one of them. I'll throw them in jail. He said that was God's choice. Now, if you were looking at that from this angle, you would not have made Saul your choice. Saul of Tarsus, you would not have made that your choice. I'll guarantee you. Rest of them took a scholar, taking a scholar, a diplomat. That's the church's choice. And he said, see, you don't know who it is at, that, at the altar. One thing is for sure, none of us know what's behind the skin veil. None of us know what's really in that person. None of us really know what that person's going to become. Only God can tell you what's inside that seed that's going to come out, right? But we look at the outside naturally. We look at the, uh, the appearance logically. We look at the fitness of this person and say, wow, that would be a great fit. But you know what? You're better off always. I said you're better off always making sure it's God's choice. And Brother Branham says, 90% of the time, that's the problem. He says, we're making our choice or injecting our thoughts into this. 90% of the time, he said, we're making our choice and injecting our thoughts into it. That's why, young people, if you're not married, uh, you better really pray, like Brother Branham said. You better watch and pray and wait on God uh, because you want to marry the right person. You want to marry the person that is God's choice for you. You want to marry the right person. You want to, uh, if you're thinking of changing churches, you, you, you had better think about that. Not because we're trying to, you know, scare everybody into staying here. Absolutely not. Or going to another place or coming to this place or whatever else. That's not the point. But what you hear, who you associate with, and what you're exposed to matters. And so, Brother Bannum, he, he, he labors on this point about God's choice. And he said, you don't always know who you're testifying to in jail. It might look like a pugilist. And a pugilist is, Matt, a boxer. Ears broken down, eyes skinned up, but you don't know who that is. And he said, just cast your lot out there. Cast your bread upon the waters. And he said, give them the word. God takes the choice. God knows them that are his. And, you know, there has to be a, a way to reach somebody. And so you get out there and witness, and you really don't know who. And uh, I will tell you that uh, it's amazing how how that happens sometimes because there are there are things that happen that are not our choice at all. And God chose this little high-tempered Jew on his road down and said, I'll go down and get them and I'll show them what I can do. And God just knocked him down and he said to the world, that's my choice right there. That's my man. And he said, wouldn't that be foolish to the church? Why, he persecutes the church. He's a carnal man. But God knew what was on the inside of him. And that's the thing we don't know. We hardly know what's in the inside ourselves or our own family and our own children. And so, therefore, uh, it is best always to take God's choice. Now, <clears throat> let's just look at this scripture here. And I hope we can uh, say this correctly here. Now, some of these references, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read all of this, but some of these you can look at yourself here. He says, now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. 
which the Lord God had made. Now, it's interesting, uh, as, I've, as I've been studying this, that whenever Brother Bram talks about Matthew 24, he very often connects Genesis chapter 3, which is when uh, the serpent came to Eve and talked to her about something that was really close to what God said. And it got her, it got her looking at, looking at it, and somehow or another it made so much sense to her that she was willing to sell the farm to go with him and what he said. Right? She sold it all, she sold everything, and she, she was willing to go to him, uh, without discussion, without, uh, counsel. She, she heard what he said, and what he said sounded so logical and so doable and so present that she said, I'll do it. Never thought. I mean, we don't have any instance at all where she went away for days and thought about it and came back. I, we, we know, according to Brother Bram's own testimony, uh, that, that he worked on her for a time period. But nonetheless, she was willing to sell out completely and go with what he said because it made so much sense. Now, the serpent, he said, was more subtle. That beast was so close. Let's look at the, the instances of... How close. This beast was so close to a human being, yet was pure animal, that he could reason and talk. How many know that God made all the animals in the original creation? Right? God made them all. And he made one that was so close. He was an upright creature, somewhat between a chimpanzee and a man, but closer to a man. Imagine. Do you think God made that by accident? No. No, God didn't make that animal by accident, but it was really close to a man. He was so close to the human being that his seed could and did mingle with that of the woman and cause her to conceive. And when this happened, God cursed the serpent. And you talk about how that uh, scientists, you know, are still mystified because they can't find that missing link there because God hid it. Now, again, Brother Branham says there's another example in the God of this evil age. He said, if I came here today or any other day or any other minister and tried to bring a message to the people, a dying people, as we are, in other words, we're living at the end time, and so close at hand, time so close at hand as I believe we are for this day, I'd be a hypocrite to try to bring something that I knew would, that you would be pleased with, but it'd be against God's word. I'd be a real hypocrite if I brought something that I knew would make you feel good, that you'd be pleased with, and yet it'd be God, against God's word. Or something, yeah, I, would be, I would be a hypocrite, and put it in my own terms, I'd be a hypocrite if I said something that would draw a crowd or something like that. In other words, if I rounded the corners on some of the standards and some of the things that Brother Branham taught and say, well, you know, it doesn't really, our day is different. And that doesn't really matter, or we don't put emphasis on that, this or that or something. Uh, I'd, I'd be a hypocrite if I took away from the authority of the absolute that God established in our time. So remember now, God didn't establish the absolute just while Brother Branham was alive. God established the absolute for us. Isn't that right? So that we would have it for however long we were left here. That even if Brother Branham was not here, we'd have an absolute that we could check everything by. You can check your thoughts by. You can check your actions by. You can check what people say by that absolute. Thank God for the absolute. It was not just in existence for the days of Brother Branham. It's still in existence today. And so Brother Branham said, that's not my job. That's not my commission. 
is to say things to uh, draw a crowd. I wouldn't be what I'm here to be, a minister of Christ. I want to bring something that I think is of vital use to you today, not just to be seen, but to think it's something that if I died today, tomorrow, it would be anchored in your heart to go on and serve God. Well, that's an that's excellent motive. That's, that's the right thing uh, for us to have, because we're going to need it in our time. Now, Brother Branham also, in the last days, he talked, because we're living in a harvest age, we're living in a harvest time. How many believe we're living in a harvest time? Right? Finally, he says it goes into a tassel. And he describes these stages of growth here. Now, that was when John Wesley, in the Wesley age, he said, and it had a pollen drop back, and from there come the Pentecostals so close. That's what he says. Just like a real grain of wheat if you look at the stalk. So if you weren't an experienced farmer with a discerning eye, you would go out in the wrong season and think you've got the right thing. That's what he's telling us. Everybody okay? If you weren't a a real farmer, you would go out in the wrong season and think you got the right thing. Well, that's pretty detrimental for a farmer. Right? He's got to let that stay until it comes to the final stage. He's got to stay that, uh, let it stay there until all the outside is baked away and we're left with just the same thing that went in the ground in the first place. A real husbandman knows how to do that. A real husbandman, come on folks, a real husbandman knows what he's looking for. He's not looking for the second last stage. He's looking for the very last stage, the product that he, that he put in the ground. That's what he's after, and he knows how to identify that. But then he also has got to wait until the season for ripeness occurs so that it's, it's ready to be harvested. Because if there's still moisture left in there, uh, then it's going to rot and it's going to get mold in the, in the uh, what do you call it, the, the big uh, silo. It's going, to, it's going to be bad. Brother David, happy birthday. You weren't here on Sunday. I thought about you, but we want to say publicly happy birthday to you on Sunday. Brother Lonnie Jenkins always used to tell the story about uh, how that uh, he was visiting a farm, and, and uh, it was out in western, uh, western U.S., and he was staying with a farmer, and he said every morning he'd send one of his boys, uh, one of his hands out to the field, and they would bring in a couple of ears of the, of the grain, and he would peel back all the layers and he would take his thumbnail and press it in uh, to the little kernel. And he waited to see uh, if there was any response to that. In other words, if he could press his thumbnail into it and it made an indent, there was still moisture or softness in there. And he said when he could do that, put an imprint in there, he'd say, not ready yet, got to wait a little longer. And then over a period of time, he sent his workers out and they came back one day and he tried to put an imprint in the little kernel of wheat and there was no dent at all he knew it was dried out though he said hey boys fire up the combine 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 it's time to go so therefore a real true husbandman is going to be looking for the real thing because he doesn't want to take the right thing in the wrong season he wants to take the right thing in the right season right so you know what to me that says we're not fully finished yet because we're still here when god gives us his test because he knows what he's looking for you may sit there and think well hey i'm ready i mean all this preaching going on is really for the other folks in the church but (laughs) you know what i'm ready god may be putting his thumbnail against you just to see if there's any moisture in there 
And uh, he's going to wait until he finds the right response. And then he'll take her home. Because he doesn't want you to rot in the wrong place. So therefore, he says now, and he uses this analogy over and over. That's why I'm laboring on it here. But he says now, but if you'll take that weed and move it back, there's only one grain in it at all. It's only a shuck in the shape of a grain. But it's set there for a purpose, to shelter that grain. He says if the sun hits it, it would kill it. So in other words, if you had uh, the end product was exposed too quickly to the sun, it would destroy it. So therefore, the second last stage is a uh, shield. It is a carrier. It is a covering, if you like. It is a defense against the elements until the real thing is strong enough to stand on its own. And it's got to stay in there until a certain time. And the life leaves the shuck as it has left the stalk, left the pollen, as, as it came through all the stages. It leaves the shuck and goes into the wheat and forms again, just like it was down in the ground. Now, really, isn't it true that only the farmer knows what he's planted? Because what he's planted is what he's going to harvest at the end. So if he knew what that looked like that he put in the ground, he's going to know what this looks like over here. He's going to be able to tell a, a shuck. He's going to be able to tell the, the, the other immature stages there. Because when he looks at it, he's, no, that's not what I sowed in the ground. That's not what I, after plowing, that's not what I put in the ground. And he'd look at all the stages, but he's the one who was around at the planting time. Hey, folks, let me tell you, our Lord Jesus Christ was the one who was around at the planting time. He also knows what it's supposed to look like at the harvest time. It may be a mystery to us. Because you know what? This whole idea of being close is upon us. But you know what? The master, the husbandman, he knows exactly what he's looking for. So don't fear. What's really important for you is not to figure out who's who, but to figure out who you are. Because I will tell you something. The master is only looking for one thing, and that is the real true goods. Right? He's looking for his own life. That's exactly what he's looking for. He's looking for token life in the last day. He's looking for what went down in the ground. All right, now, you ready? This is the statement that really got me thinking now about this. This is Satan's Eden here. Now, Brother Branham is, is talking about the days of Jesus here, and he said when Jesus come and Satan was in that bunch of Jewish teachers and rabbis and priests, he's really direct in this sermon. He's really, he's really saying that Satan's here, God's here. He, he's, he's saying very categorical things. He's saying very specific things. And he's saying you got Satan over here in that bunch of Jewish teachers, rabbis, and priests. And they're trying to tell them, the people, to keep the law of Moses. When the very word said that in that day the Son of Man would be revealed and he would reveal himself. Satan's trying to keep the people in the law of Moses. And you know what? The law of Moses... How many would agree the law of Moses was right? How many would agree that the law of Moses is for today? It is if you're a Jew. Right? But it's not in season for us. We don't live by the law, right? We live by the grace of God. Right? We're in a different age altogether. If you're a Jew, the law still applies. But you know what? When Jesus was coming, he was taking the, that whole, uh, he was taking a whole human race around the corner. Wasn't he? He was, he was transitioning. Because now this is not God above us in the Old Testament. This is God with us. And very shortly it would be God in us. 
And you know what? He was going through those transitions uh, in, in the days of his earthly ministry. And the people, you know what they're doing? They're keeping the people in the law of Moses. They're keeping the people back here in the law. You see what he just said? Something's happening, and they're saying, no, it's not, no, it's not. We still have the law of Moses. No, it's not. We still have the law of Moses. No, it's not. Moses said this. Right? They're keeping the people. He says, when the very word said in that day that he would reveal himself, he said those rabbis were trying to tell them to keep the law of Moses. Just stay right here. If you go to Saskatoon, uh, there is a really unique building that's built there. It was designed by a Canadian architect. And in the enti- it's a part of the University of Saskatchewan. And it is uh, unique because there is not one corner in the whole building. Every single uh, room it has round corners. And it's round on the inside and it's round on the outside. So everybody goes by to take a look at it because, you know, when you get around to it, it's, it's actually pretty interesting. <clears throat> the Pharisees kind of wanted to keep everything like that. There's really no turns. There's no stopping of one thing in the beginning of another thing. This is all fluid. We're going to stay with the law of Moses. And we're, gonna, we're just going to follow that. We're just going to keep going with that. To them, in a sense, they were taking away the corners that God was going to turn. Are you following me? And he said, <clears throat> so Jesus was there to reveal the Son of Man, and they was trying, as long as they kept them religious, as long as the Pharisees and so forth kept the people religious and on the law of Moses, see what he did? He was trying to tell them, that part of the world is exactly right, but this man isn't that, purpose, isn't that person. See how deceiving it is? He said, that's the real day of deception. So you got people in that day who are religious and are pointing to something, and Jesus is actually there pointing to something else, and the people are saying, no, that's not true. We're going to point back to this. And he said, that's the real day of deception. You know why? Because everyone on the scene here is quoting Scripture. Everyone on the scene here, everyone in the discussion is using the Bible or using the scrolls to justify their position. Whoa, well, you've got to... Uh, I mean, you got you, you know what you needed to have in a day like that? You needed to have discernment. You know that? Because <clears throat> there was only one of them could be right. There was only one of them that could be correct. And Jesus is standing there saying to them, search the scripture. For That's what we're doing. We're quoting out of the scripture you're telling us to search. But remember that they're looking at it with having made a choice about what that means. They said it means this. Right? And Jesus says, no, search the scripture, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they that testify of me. So either the scripture today is testifying of me, or what these guys are saying right here, now you've got to search the scripture and know it. He's telling them to search the same scripture that they're standing there justifying their position from. And he's saying to them, hey, uh, that Moses was right, but this man isn't Moses. This man isn't David. This man isn't one of the prophets. This man is the son of man. This man is I and my father are one. 
Jesus is using the same scripture they're using, but they're looking at it one way, he's looking at it another way. But now you're in the congregation, you're looking at this and, whoa. Now I really can't do that much anymore, you know, move my head back and forth that way because I'd fall over, I'd get so dizzy. Same quote, watch. And it's, and I'm not going to be much longer, so bear with me. It's been, and now is, Satan establishing his kingdom on the earth. It's been. That's been happening. And is today that Satan's establishing his kingdom in the earth. That's what's happening today. And that's, now, that, that has, it's, has nothing to do with us. I mean, it's not our kingdom. We don't buy into that kingdom. We don't participate in that kingdom. We don't want to be influenced by that kingdom. It's Satan's Eden, right? He's the god of this evil age. And you know what? You can have it. You can have, for me, you can have it. That's exactly why he's doing it, for he wants to establish his own kingdom. As a businessman that's not a Christian, he'll work every scheme he can to make you see something the wrong way. He'll work every scheme, every, every possible way to make you see something the wrong way. Well, hey, listen, if you're talking about religious people who like to go to meetings, what are you going to do? You're going to put a preacher up there who's really good at saying almost the right thing. Because you're not going to fool... You're not going to fool the elect. And remember, the elect is a target, right? It would fool the elect if it was possible. So you're not going to fool the elect by some guy who doesn't know the message. I remember one time I was at a meeting, and uh, there was a guy who was a, and I, I don't mean this badly, uh, he's a nice fellow, but he was a shooting star. In other words, he came up real fast. And uh, he was real, real popular because he had some measure of what he referred to as discernment. So he could call out people, and people were flocking to him. You know, they were, they were just, you know, whoa, got to go see this guy. So <clears throat> I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know anything about him, but it happened to be where he was speaking at a meeting. And I listened to him preach, and then at the end of it, um, I, I came to him, and I wasn't contesting him at all. I really was not, and God knows my heart. But I had just asked him a question about the message. I, I happened to run into him, and I shook his hand. I said, uh, God bless you. And I said, I just have one little question, and I asked him something about the message. And he, he went like this. I still remember. He said, oh, listen. He said, Brother Barry, I don't know very much about the message at all. I've never read it. That's what he said. I've never read it. Now, he knew, you know, God had sent a prophet, and he had those words. But he said, I've never read the message. And I thought to myself, I just said, thought to myself, and I never said anything to him uh, about that, but I, I thought to myself, why are people in the bride going to hear somebody who doesn't know anything about the message? I mean, we want to hear the truth, right? So something like that's not going to fool you. Because you know as soon as somebody says something contrary to the message or the, uh, the revealed word of the hour, hey, okay, you know. Got it. I know where you're standing. I mean, if you if somebody's outward like that, but Satan's a schemer. That's what that's what Brother Bram's telling us here. He says he'll work every scheme he can to make you see something the wrong way. If he's got a purpose and a personal gain in making you do that, making you see it that way, he'll show you everything he can and keep you off from the truth of it because he's got a feeling only for himself. 
He's got a feeling only for himself. And no matter how much he lies and cheats and whatever more, he's got personal gain. I want to tell you that that spirit's gone nowhere. Let me show it to you in the Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 11. If you have your Bible there, just take a look. 1 Samuel chapter 11. Let's read just a little, just for an example. Because the spirit that was present in the Antichrist passes down through generations. The spirits don't die. <clears throat> now, we won't take a lot of time here, just real briefly. Saul was not God's choice. How many would agree? He was not God's choice, number one, because of Genesis 49. The scepter shall not depart out of Judah. So therefore, godly kings came from Judah. David was from Judah. Saul was from Bethlehem. He was a Bethlehemite. says it several times here. And yet, when the people chose Saul, and they were really bent on having Saul because he looked like a king, he acted like a king, and they really wanted to have him as a king. And God said, Samuel, let them have their way. Let them have at it. That's what they really want. There's no talking them out of it, so let them have what they want. So this is what God does. Because you wonder how close would it all get in 1 Samuel chapter 10. Sorry, just go back one chapter there. Verse 6, 1 Samuel 10, 6. And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee. This is Samuel speaking to Saul. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and thou shalt be turned into another man. I'm going to change you so much. You're going to be, people are not even going to recognize you. Not outside now. He's still going to be Saul, but on the inside, he says, you shall be turned into another man. Who did this? The Spirit of the Lord did this. And let it be when these signs are come unto thee, that thou do as occasion serve thee, for God is with thee. And thou shalt go down before me to Gilgal, and so forth. He tells them everything that's going to happen. Verse 9, and it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. He's going to be a new man. You know what? God gave him a new heart. Now, let me ask you again. Was he God's choice? No, he wasn't God's choice. Because when God made a choice, you know what he got? He got a man from Bethlehem first. He got David who was a man after his own heart. But God anoints this man because he's in the office of a king. Are you following me? So if you're, now, if you're, we, we can look at this with hindsight, but if you were on the scene that day and looking at all of this, you see, wow, here's Saul prophesying. And later on, they even asked the question at the bottom of the chapter to say, hey, is Saul among the prophets now? Is Saul hanging around with Samuel all the time? And is he, is he among, is he one of the prophets? We didn't know that. Look at all he's doing. Look at the way he is. And look at the things he's doing now. And all of that's happening because the Spirit of God came down upon Saul. Was he God's choice? No, he was not God's choice. He was the people's choice. Huh? All right, so go on over now to the next chapter. As we find out that even though Saul was anointed and the Spirit of God came upon him, we find out that the choices that Saul made and the decisions that he made were absolutely questionable for sure. Now, Here's the example. The enemy 
in verse 1 of chapter 11, Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said unto Nahash, Make a covenant with us and we will serve thee. So this big army comes up, this enemy comes up against this little group of Israelites. And the Israelites said, Hey, let's make a deal. You know, if you want our grain, we'll give you the grain, just let us go. If you want to have our chariots, you can have our chariots, but let us go. They said, Make a deal. And Nahash, who was bad because we know his name is bad, he said, all right, he said, I'll let you all live if you let us pluck out your right eye. We're going to dig out your right eye, and then we'll let you all live. Well, hey, the Israelites said, hold on, we can't agree to that. So if you don't mind, give us seven days, and we're going to, talk among ourselves, and if we can't find anybody to come against you, then you know what? Uh, we'll, we'll make some sort of covenant with you here. But you've got to give us a bit of space here to think about this. So they went off, and they told King Saul. And King Saul gets mad. When he hears about this, he gets mad. Now, Brother Branham said that, <clears throat> he said, that's the devil's tactic every time, he said, is to try to take away your spiritual sight. Not naturally now, but spiritually, he's always trying to take away or, or mar your spiritual sight, what you're supposed to be looking at. And he said in verse 6, I'm in chapter 11, verse 6, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul when he heard these tidings, and his anger was kindled greatly. And he took a yoke of oxen, and he hewed them in pieces and sent them throughout all the coast of Israel by the hands of the messengers and said, Whosoever cometh not forth after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done unto his oxen. In other words, Saul uses his association with Samuel to put fear in the people so he would have a following. So he would have uh, this, this following all the way uh, down into uh, the victory in the battle. Now, let me read you what Brother Branham says. Now, this is the scripture here, 1 Samuel chapter 11. We just read that. And Brother Branham says, the enemy was going to come and pluck do a little bunch, uh, going to come to a little bunch of God's people and pluck the right eye out of every man. And that's what the enemy always tries to do is pluck out the eyes if he can so people can't see what they're doing. My goodness, in a time like this, wouldn't that be Satan's chief tactic to try to misdirect you and take out your spiritual eyesight so that you're wandering down the wrong path? He says, that's what Satan tries to do today to every Christian is to pluck out his spiritual sight so he can only follow the intellectual sense of things and not the sense of the Holy Spirit leading him. My goodness, this is not a day you want to have the intellect, your intellect, leading you. You don't want to have my intellect leading you. You don't want to have your intellect leading you. You want to have the Holy Spirit leading you. And this is what uh, Brother Bram is teaching us, is that Satan would try to take away that spiritual insight. And he said you rely upon your intellectuals, just like the disciples relied upon their judgment to elect Matthias. But it wasn't God's choice. So when they did that... And a great defeat come, and Saul cut up two great oxen, sent them to all the people. Oh, he said, I wish you'd notice here, when Saul sent the pieces of the ox to Israel, he said, let every man that will not follow Samuel and Saul, let him, this ox, be as this. So in other words, me and Samuel, buddy, we're together on this. We're buddies together. And that's what his relationship was with, was with the physical man, Samuel. And so he's using his association with Samuel in order to put fear in the people. Why? Watch. Do you see how deceitful he tried to represent himself with the man of God? How unchristian it was. How unchristian it was. 
the fear of the people was because of Samuel. Saul's only a year into his reign. But the people respected Samuel because they knew he was the man of God. So they came in response to this because Samuel was in the, in the equation here. Well, Saul put him in the equation. Samuel didn't agree to this. But Saul got them all to follow him because the people feared Samuel. Let them come after Saul. And Brother Branham says in a rejected king, he used Samuel's name to get somebody to follow him. That's all he wanted. If we read back in in the scripture we read, in the quotation we read here, that's what Satan wanted in the very beginning was to have a following and to have a position. And in the end time, he wants to have control and he wants to have rulership. And here's that same spirit surfacing in Saul. He wants to have a following. That's all he wants. He's not interested in what God would do in this case. As a matter of fact, he doesn't appeal to God. He just says, in other words, if, if this enemy comes in and I lose the battle, my goodness, I'll lose my reign and nobody will follow me. So how can I arrange this so everybody follows me? And he sends out the oxen and he says, hey, Samuel and Saul, Samuel and Saul, Samuel and Saul. And he's using his association with the prophet to vindicate his position so everybody will follow him. Imagine, imagine. And here's Brother Branham connecting that to today. Imagine preaching only to have a following. Imagine doing that. Hmm. That spirit is still around. And he used Samuel's name to get somebody to follow him. That's what he wanted. And you know what? It's really close. It's really close to the prophet. God forbid that I would ever use Brother Branham to hold the people or put fear in the people so that they would stay with me so I'd have a following. God forbid that I would ever harness people or put uh, some sort of, uh, you know, uh, reluctance for you to uh, think about things clearly and remove your eyesight so that you couldn't see. Hey, listen, to, and, and you, know, you folks know me, that's why I put it on the board here and I make it so, so obvious here because I want you to be able to look at that. It's no good for me just to be able to say it. It's no good for me to just create a PowerPoint. It's got to go from, from here to there in your heart, and you've got to have the Holy Spirit to quicken that to you until it becomes a life. Otherwise, it's just a lecture, right? That's all it is. And I'm not here to lecture. I'm here to give you the full counsel of God, but you should be sitting there saying, Lord, let that full counsel strike my heart. And give me the eyesight that I need to have because if I let my guard down for a minute, Satan's going to try to pluck my eyes out because that's his tactic. So you've got to have not only an association with the body, but you've got to have a a, a relationship with him and a living relationship with him. You've got to have a thriving uh, relationship with him. Because he wants to guide you every step of the way. And he wants you to move you this way and move you that way and move you in the right direction. He's constantly adjusting things, isn't he? He's constantly showing us things. He's constantly bringing us a little bit higher. And that's exactly the whole point because we're moving out of here. We're not going backward. We're going that way. The rapture is that way, not this way. Right? The rapture is ahead of us. The change of our body is ahead of us, not behind us. And the Holy Spirit wants to take us. In that direction to where our bodies are changed. Let's stand to our feet. But Brother Branham said, here were these scribes and Pharisees, and they're standing right in front of Jesus, and they're pointing everybody back to the law of Moses here. 
And he said, that's the deception. So, <clears throat> take the message, Satan's Eden, and just listen to it, read it. I believe it's, it's got a lot of wonderful things in there that we can draw from. I believe that it does. There are, there are many, many good, uh, important things in there for us to, to learn and to pay attention to. Sometimes it's good just to be refreshed. Let's sing that little chorus. Jesus is the sweetest name I know, and he's just the same as his lovely name. Let's sing it together tonight. Let's just worship now before we leave together. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. And he's just the same as his lovely name. And that's the reason why I love him so. For Jesus is the sweetest name I know. So flow through me, Holy Spirit, flow through me. Yes, flow And to magnify thy name Flow through me, Holy Spirit Flow through me Only you, Lord
Heavenly Father, as we linger a moment, Lord, in your presence, we know that whenever you draw near, good things happen. Whenever, Lord, you come among your people and move in our midst, Lord, we know that healing is possible. And, Lord, peace is attainable. And, Lord, deliverance can happen. And, Lord, may the people reach out to you now, Lord, as you pass by. When that woman touched your garment as you passed by in the crowd that day, there was no noise, there was no great sound, but she knew that something had happened. And, Lord, we believe you're, you're the same today. As you pass by, we know, Lord Jesus, that whatever need we carry, we can hand it to you, Lord. We can touch the hem of your garment by faith and believe, Lord, that you're all-powerful and you're all-knowing. You not only have an answer, you have the best answer. And so, Lord Jesus, in all of our decisions and all of our choices, we want everything to be your choice. This is so critical, Lord, for us. May we learn as a people, never, Lord, to inject our thinking into things, but, Lord, may we learn to wait upon you. Because they that wait upon you, they become stronger. So have your way, Lord, we pray now tonight. Minister to the sick. Give recovery to those, Lord, that have gone through procedures. And, Lord, are dealing with health issues. Father, we, we, we know that you care about things that people experience. And Lord, we are thankful that we have a God who is reachable. And Lord, we're able to make meetings with you. We're able to make appointments. And, Lord, you're faithful. We thank you, Lord, for the people and their faith and their belief, Lord. May you make us strong. May, Lord, right in the middle of Satan's Eden, may, Lord, you be able to identify us as a people that stand true to your word no matter what happens. Father, we'll give you thanks and praise. We go our separate ways now. We ask, Lord, that you would protect our families and watch over each one. We love you and we thank you for all you do for us. And give you praise in Jesus' lovely name. Amen. Amen. Sing this as you go. In and out of situations.
Can interfere. 